0: Good to be here today. My name is Luke. I am a member here at Renewal Church of Chicago. I also serve on the leadership team. Occasionally, I get to share in some of the teaching on Sunday morning. This is one of those days I get to share in that teaching. Why? Because we are waiting for Pastor Derek, yes, still waiting, for Pastor Derek and Kaylee to have that baby. Any time now, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, right? Yes. Um, and so uh, be, be in prayer for Kaylee and Derek and their family. Uh, baby number five. This one, this one, a baby boy. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Um, we have been, as you may know, in a book called Ephesians. It's a letter from a guy named Paul who is a leader in the first century church. Um, sometimes St. Paul, sometimes called the Apostle Paul, sometimes simply Paul. He wrote a number of letters. If the, the letter to the Ephesians is one of those letters, and we've been looking at that as a church for several weeks now. Today we're going to be in chapter 2, the second half of chapter 2. But before we get there, there's a photo that I wanted to share with you guys because it, it, really, it really comes into play here in uh, the passage that we're going to read. This is Marcia and Millie, and they have uh, 11 years old, they know each other well, they've, they've grown up together, they play together, they're good friends. As a matter of fact, they've known each other since birth, because they're twins. And uh, they're the cover story this, this month of the National Geographic magazine, a, a magazine dedicated to race. Um, and they, this, this, these twins, throw a wrench in a lot of human thinking about what race even is. If you can have um, a, man, a, a father of Jamaican descent and a mother of English descent in the same womb, in the just, same gestation, and the same labor and delivery, and virtually the same DNA, and one black and one white, what is race at all? Right? So this, this passage that we're going to look at today, you guys are hyped up, I like it. This passage that we're going to look at today touches on, not, not race per se, but ethnicity, and it has a lot to say to us today in Renewal Church, but first we're going to look at what it says to the Ephesian church in the first century. Let's pick it up at, at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, you can turn in your Bibles, in your Bible apps, you can look up on the screen. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I encourage you to have it open the whole time, because we're going to be walking through a lot of these verses together, and there are 11 of them. So, um, as you get that, uh, if you're able, let's stand as I read our passage Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Is where we're starting. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Now, this is a long passage. I'm going to be reading for like 90 seconds in a row, okay? So, you got to stay with me, and um, as I'm reading, try to pay attention to the, um, I, the, the groups that are identified in this passage and what is happening, the dynamics that is going on between the groups that are identified here, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, "Therefore." Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the, quote, uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who made us both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows together into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. You guys may be seated. In this passage, we are turning a corner, so to speak, in the letter to the Ephesians. If you remember, we've been through chapter one, the first half to chapter two. If you were to summarize a major theme of what we have read and studied together so far, it it might go something like this, that peace, unity is possible between God and people right? But here, this this theme of unity becomes enlarged. Something else is happening. There's a bit of a pivot. Still unity, but where peace with people and God is possible, what Paul is saying here is peace between people and people is possible. Do you see? Peace is possible. Union with God is possible. And unity, union among people is also possible. Now, today we're going to look at this with one main a phrase, right, and it broken into three parts. What was divided has been made one through Christ, right? First, what was divided. Second, has been made one. Third, through Christ. We're gonna just walk through those those uh, statements and see how they unfold in this passage. First, what was divided. Verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the hands, in the flesh by hands. Remember at one time you were separated from Christ. Right out of the gate, we are confronted with a culture and a religious reality that most of us do not deal with every day, right? Most of us, I I would venture to say, perhaps all of us, I don't know, do not perceive the social order of the world through the lens of who is a Gentile and who is not. But that is what we see here. That is, what, that is what's going on here. And Paul names this. He is, we are confronted with this, these cultural differences. And we, we would do well to understand a little bit about where Paul is coming from and where the Ephesian church is coming from. Uh, You've got to remember that the Roman Empire had conquered... Uh, vast territories of the then, then known world, and in so doing, had subjugated lots of different people groups and ethnicities, right? And so all of these different people groups that had operated uh, independently, roughly independently of one another for, for centuries, suddenly were thrown into the same empire, right? And so you have cities like Ephesus that was multi, uh, multinational, multiethnic, multilinguistic, multicultural, all in the same place. All of these people gathered together, kind of, kind of thrown together by the reality of the Roman Empire. And there, in a city like that, a church is planted. Now, if something, if Paul does not step in, if, if leadership in the church does not step in to something that is bubbling under the surface here that we see in these verses that we read, if something doesn't happen, then the church is at risk, deep, profound risk of going entirely off the rails and in, in, in practicing something that's not Christianity at all. Paul's language, do you you see, Paul's language is intentional here. He says right, right away, some have called, it's even in quotes, some people call others the uncircumcision and refer to themselves as the circumcision. These Jews and Gentiles, if we're going to think about this for today, for us, because we're just not, this language is not language that we use, you might say, some people in your church call themselves special and call others common. Right, that's what's happening here, and there's the beginnings, the beginnings of a devastating division taking place in the church, the one church, and Paul addresses it head on. There's a, the, there is a there's a division that is happening, and it has its basis in generations of history, right, that, that come before the Ephesians church. The Ephesian church, generations of history where the, where the Jewish or Israelite people were principally identified by their separateness. Right? Well, fast forward to the church and after the work of Christ, they're all together. And how does a group of people that are identified by their separateness, that call anyone who is not Jewish a Gentile, how do those people and, and others re- relate to one another in a single church, in a single city? That is what is happening here. How do these people relate to one another? Paul um, says some people call themselves special and other people call themselves (laughs) and call others common. He he identifies this division that is happening here. And it's good to to just recognize that the, the Israelite people had actually taken God's calling over them and entirely reversed it. So you got to back way, 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 way up, right? So we're generations after, many generations after Abraham, the the first Jew that, that God called out and he said, I will make you into a nation, right? You will be distinctive. You will be different. And he gave them practices. He gave them the ceremonial law, the sacrificial system, and he gave them practices like circumcision to separate them and to make them distinctive among the other nations, Right? But the Israelite people, thinking of themselves as special and as unique, was flipping inside out the very calling that God gave to Abraham. If we go back to that calling, he does say, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. But in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he also says, why? Do you remember? So that you may bless all peoples, all ethnos, all ethnicities on earth. You see, the very calling of the people of Israel was to draw other people into who God is and what he has done, into his holiness. They were even codified into the, into the Israelite law from God in Deuteronomy. It talks about what do you do with a Gentile person who wants to become like you, and it tells them how. They can enter into the same community. The, the very thing that God intended when his, in his calling of Abraham to draw people in had been flipped around and weaponized to push people away they were not set apart the israelites had flipped something so upside down that they 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 walked or at least too many of the israelites they walked around thinking look at how god has chosen us because we are so special when in fact they should have been saying we are so special because god has chosen us they in, in this kind of thinking was putting at risk, and it's not an exaggeration to say, at risk the existence of the Christian church in the city of Ephesus. Now, there are few things that are more frustrating, more disheartening to a marginalized group of people than to hear from the dominant group of people how their experience is really not all that bad. Not that big a deal. There are a few things more discouraging and disheartening for, for the, the, uh, uh, the set-aside group of people to, than to hear from the, marg- uh, from the dominant group of people that what they experience is really, really, it's going to be all okay, and it's getting better, and it's just fine, and what's the big deal? Now, Paul does none of that here. In Ephesians, he opens up, and, and right out of the gate, verse 11, he, said, he names the problem. He says, there is division. Some of you have a superiority complex. Others have an inferiority complex. And there is no space for that in the church. Zero. It is so fundamental. So fundamental that the church itself is at risk. Um, He says, "You you you may be called common because of the tradition. Did you notice that? Done by human hands. This idea of, of whatever religious practice you may have. This is ultimately, ultimately, these are human practices and traditions. Um, in the article in National Geographic that accompanies that photo that I showed of uh, Millie and Marcia, they, there are numerous scientists, geneticists quoted in there, and they talk about race. And I, I have a couple of their quotes here. I want to read them to you. One, one scientist says, quote, As a matter of fact, the very concept of race Has no genetic or scientific basis. Another one goes so far as to say, quote, understanding of human genetics tells us that the whole idea of race is a human invention. And if if you have two different people with the same genetic code coming out of the same mama, then race must be a human invention, right? And now, listen, Paul, with the Ephesian church, he is saying, everything that you're perceiving, these these vast differences between the two of you, you Jews and you Gentiles, this is human invention. This is is just made up. The very thing that was supposed to draw people in into unity and to bear witness to the almighty holy God has been flipped around to push people away. The very people who are supposed to say, as a nation, look at God, look at what he has done with us. Such people of low estate had flipped it around and said, look at us, how God has chosen us instead of you. It's nonsense, it's nonsense. Just as biologically speaking, it's nonsense, really, to talk about how we're so separated by race. Here in Ephesus, a human invention was mistaken for something that was an immutable part of the created order. Some religious practice, some set of ceremonial laws. Paul goes on and he he says in verse 12, he calls the Gentiles to remember who they were. It's good. The the past tense reminds us, right? Did you notice that? Remember who you were were. In other words, that's no longer the case. You've been brought in to the family of God. The division that was happening, this this profound division, what is even called hostility in later verses. Did you notice that? Hostility hostility twice. This word can be translated enmity. Right? They, They they were enemies. What was happening in the church is doubly tragic. First, why? Because they were what was where there was hostility, there was supposed to be unity. And second, this hostility was entirely man-made. It was was set upon an artificial premise. It, It didn't even actually exist in the created order. The differences between the Jews and the Gentiles were so superficial and so minuscule in light of what God had done that they missed all that bound them together. Fundamentally, ultimately speaking, both Jew and Gentile are the same people. They were unchosen, and then they were chosen. Think about it, Abraham, when he called him out, was he like, where where is the Israelite? No, 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 he called Abraham, and Abraham became an Israelite, right? The first Jew was a Gentile. Any Christian was first a non-Christian. That's what he's saying here. You guys are the same. You're the same. You have, ultimately, you have the same history. You were, you were nobodies, and then God called you and made you somebody. You were unloved, and then God loved you. Do You see, but now, this is a great intro to verse 13. We've, we've looked at what was divided. First, what was divided. Second, has been made one. And verse 13 really, really leans into that. But now, in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In Jesus, those who were far off have been brought near. There's a, an amazing miracle at work here. And we can read it in our, in our Bibles. And frankly, we can just read right through it. I want you to consider for a moment just the profound groupishness of our world today. Do you know what I mean? The way that people just so naturally all the time, every day, every moment are like grouping themselves and, and pitting themselves once, one against another all the time, uh, just subconsciously in this profound groupishness or tribalism that we have in our world today, that, that, that something like this could happen. That two different people could become so profoundly one, from two profoundly different groups, could become so unified that Paul would describe them as one man. Where there were two, now there is one. He is describing the church, and I don't want us to miss the miracle of that. There's an Irishman named um, Alistair Begg great irishy sounding name, Alastair Begg. He works a, a, as a pastor in Cleveland, and, and he gets at this. He has a great... Uh, being from a different culture gives him great cultural insight sometimes, I think, for us. He puts it this way, quote, The church is not a company of natural friends bound together by status or politics or affinity or income or race or ethnicity or language or anything else. In fact... The church is a company of natural enemies. By nature, we live as enemies. That is what makes this message so miraculous. The church is not bound together by any of these other superficial things. Even superficial things that somebody might claim are not superficial. The church is bound together by something else, something different entirely. Beg is emphasizing the miracle of community that is found across lines of division is found in a, in a more radical way in local congregations, in local churches, and what was at risk in the church in Ephesus. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, change in language. We read verses 11 through 13. Paul is addressing first, the, the group that had been kind of pushed aside, the Gentiles. It's interesting even that he would think to do that. So you've got this problem in a church. You've got a people with a superiority complex, people with an inferiority complex. And who does Paul address by name first? Those who have the inferiority complex. He's doing something here. He's saying, let me speak to you first. And he, he says you, and he, he, re, he reminds them from where they are from, right? And then he goes on, verse 14 the, the pronoun you shifts. What, what happens? You changes to us. Us all. You to us. In other words, Jew and Gentile alike are in need of the same work from the same Savior. <laughs> you and us. He says, us all. The twins, uh, Marcia and Millie, um, they, they, they share that when they're out in public, often, often, it, people just assume that they're friends, good friends, and then when they find out, when people find out that they're actually twins, biological twins, the twins say, people are always shocked. Guess what? That shock from people betrays a presupposition about who can share the same bloodline. In, if, in Ephesus... When, when, when Paul is, what Paul is saying here would have been shocking to people. Why? Because what they presume, their presuppositions about who can actually have status with God is based on ethnicity and not on what Christ has done. Their, their understanding of the bloodline of Christ is entirely confused How can it be? How can this be? The great um, Frederick Douglass, I, I know many of you, most of you have read, have read Frederick Douglass. He's, he, he was, uh, after escaping slavery, he wrote and spoke extensively on the atrocities of slavery. And in his speaking, he never minced words at all about the church. Uh, too many, not all of the churches, but too many churches in America. They're complicit and sometimes explicit promotion of slavery. And yet, Frederick Douglass was a devout Christian. How can this be? He, he had many people ask him that, and he wrote actually an addendum to his uh, narrative life. And this is a quote from that. He says, quote, what I have said, respecting and against religion, I mean strictly to apply to the slave-holding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper. For between Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend to the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure peaceable and impartial christianity of christ i therefore hate the corrupt slaveholding women whipping cradle plundering partial and hypocritical christianity of this land indeed i can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land christianity at all devastating and yet so beautiful in identifying what Christianity really is. The Ephesian church was in, deeply at risk of losing Christianity altogether and practicing something different. Do you see any group that presumes moral or religious superiority over another is not practicing Christianity at all. They're practicing something else. Any group that looks down on another for being lesser or not good enough is not practicing Christianity. It's practicing something else. Any religion that that defines righteousness principally on something that people do, something made with human hands, is not Christianity. It is something else. Why? Christianity is entirely premised on Christ doing what no one else can do. To pit one group against another the superior in, in, in moral or religious terms for the Ephesian church was, was not practicing Christianity. It is not, in Douglas's words, the pure, good, holy, peaceable, impartial Christianity of Christ. It's something else. It's something contorted and twisted out of, out of, even out of recognition. This is the gospel of peace Jesus has done the impossible. He has secured peace between people and God, and he has secured peace for anyone who wants between people and people. He's done something unique. How? I've got three points. Remember, what was divided is made one. How? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. How can peace come To groups who have been at enmity for generations through Jesus. Just just quickly through the verses again. Verse 14, by Jesus breaking down the wall of hostility. Verse 15, by Jesus abolishing the law of commands and ordinances. Verse 16, by Jesus through his body on the cross. Verse 17, by Jesus preaching peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Those who are far off, the Gentiles. Those who are near, the Jews. In other words, the Jews needed Jesus, they needed the same sermon. Jesus, through Him, our world, particularly the Western world, particularly places like the United States, we are so filled with kind of a vacuous, vapid, um, sloganeering about unity. Can I just say that aloud? I mean, it's just all the time, everywhere. It's, what what Paul is getting at here is not hashtag inclusion. It's not something that 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 just will just. It's just a vapor that makes no meaningful difference. No, no, no. There are tangible, there is a community that is being birthed in a multinational city in Ephesus. And it it is something that is where people who were once at enmity now sit and eat together and share together and do life together. There's nothing grittier and more real life than that. This is not mere sloganeering. It is not hashtag inclusion. It is not the previous generation, hands across America. Uh, It is not the generation before that, make love, not war. It's something different. It's something radical. It's something that actually brings enemies to the same dinner table. They sit together and they love one another. What, what can do this only through Christ? We cannot miss this. Any effort, here, here's a, a chief application for us as Renewal Church, any effort in activism, and, and I hope that we are active, right? But listen, any, any activist Thing that we might do if we do not have a deep appreciation for the doctrine of sin then we are spinning our wheels right? so much of the world we, well, we got the, th- the three points right now what was divided has been made one through Christ so much of the, the, the sloganeering in the world is what was divided has been made one and there is no why or how or who and it just doesn't last it's fleeting it's a vapor and all we have to do is look at the newspaper or get online and see that that is the case all of the strides it's so many of the strides that feel like we have been we have taken as a society and then you and then you see things like charlotte and you're like what why because none of this none of this can last can endure without understanding the principal underlying problem humans have sin in their hearts Jesus deals with sin. Any activism, any effort to reconcile the extremes of humanity that does not account for sin will only treat symptoms and never the disease. I have a friend. He visited Ireland last year, the year before. He told me a little bit about his trip afterward. He's an African-American, and he said, Luke, you just wouldn't believe I was in Belfast, and I just... It boggled my mind. You have this great city that's divided by a wall, and at dusk, every day, they close giant gates and lock them to keep two factions of people from killing each other in the night. He said, "It's, it's crazy. Here you have these people that have for generations, for thousands of years, lived on this little sliver of land. They're separated by almost nothing. Right? The, the same genetic code, the same backgrounds, the same language, all this stuff, and yet they still are at enmity with one another. And then he said something that so, so surprised me. He said, and I was so encouraged to see that. And I said, what? Why? He said, because for me, is it, it helped to, to bring to light that what I experience as an African American in America is not, has, has nothing to do, really, really, with something that is unique to America and to black-white relations. What I experience has to do with the sin that resides in human hearts. And I am encouraged because Jesus specializes in curing the sin that resides in human hearts. He is right. Any effort to overcome, to bring together, to draw into unity the extremes of humankind that does not account for sin is doomed to failure. application for us is that if we are active, and I hope that we are, we must have a doctrine of sin. Another application for us particularly as Renewal Church is that it is good, Renewal, to celebrate what God is doing right here. It is good to celebrate it, but let us never become proud. Why? Because this is through Him it is through Jesus' work on the cross, what he was uniquely able to do, this, this atoning, this, this penalty that needed to be paid so that justice would be done about the sin in human hearts, right? We need him. We have a sin problem. Verse 16 uh, summarizes it very well that Jesus might reconcile us both, us both, any kind of person, to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Do you see the very same thing that separates people from God, sin? You you could say, if you don't like the word sin, okay, pride. The very same thing, pride, this idea that I can trust myself more than I can trust God. That separates me from him, and it is reconciled on the cross. That same thing is what separates me from people. Pride, I can trust myself, I can't trust you so much. And enmity is born. Jesus takes care of, it, of both of those problems, of that profound sin problem on the cross. Verses 18 and 22 have magnificent, I, I can't even describe the beauty. Verse 18, what does it say? For through him, we both have access and one spirit to the Father. Verse 22, look at it. Same, same idea, different words. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place, for God, by the Spirit. We've got four actors, I guess five actors, really, in these two verses. Did you notice? You both, so there's two, Jew and Gentile, and the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit all working together. Now, this is magnificent, the beauty. You have the Trinitarian God, this this God who is so mysterious and inexplicable that somehow there are three persons in one God since the very beginning living in perfect harmony and community, and they are working in community on purpose. Why? To make their church an expression of that kind of community and unity. The unity modeled in the Trinitarian God manifests in the multi-ethnic church in Ephesus and I hope, in Chicago. Let me say that again. The unity modeled in the Trinitarian God manifests in the multi-ethnic church. It's magnificent. Father, Son, and Spirit working together to bring unity, to bring peace, this gospel of peace, this gospel of reconciliation. Us to God and us to one another. What was divided has been made one through Jesus. Jonathan Blanchard was a a, a a, a tireless um, abolitionist in the mid-1800s. He um, also actually founded Wheaton College, not too far from here, one of the very first colleges in in North America to have a curriculum for any kind of person, where any kind of person could sit in the same classroom. He uh, described his belief in a, Commencement addressed Oberlin College in 1839. Here's a quote from that. He preached that, quote, I rest my opposition to slavery upon the one bloodism of the New Testament. I'm going to say that again. I rest my opposition to slavery upon the one bloodism of the New Testament. All men are equal because they are all of one equal blood. And whose blood is that? Christ's. It's, it's, this one bloodism of the New Testament is what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church. Ultimately, ultimately church, you are of the same bloodline. You, you are like biological twins. How, how can you be divided? There's no division here but what you make for yourselves. In our world of so many so many divisions, so much groupishness, young and old, liberal and conservative, urban and rural, rich and poor, black and brown and white, male and female, elites and the everyman, the white collar and the blue collar, the 1%, the 99%. Can I, do, do I need to go on? The Jew and the Gentile. In this world of such profound groupishness, what hope is there but through Christ? We need the one-bloodism of the New Testament. We need what he can only do, what he alone has done through profound cost to him and infinite gift to us. We need the cross. What was divided has been made one through Jesus. We pray for us.